Well, let's open up to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. So therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand, stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench the, all the fiery darts of the wicked one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. And that word saints there, another way you could put that is actually holy ones, is how that's it's transferred or translated into Greek, and they use saints a lot of time, and sometimes it gives a misunderstanding because with everything that Paul just said there, how significant it is we're not just saints because when we think of saints, we think of some religious thing, but God said that we are His holy ones, we are His imagers, we are made in His likeness, and that we are holy because of Him, and that's important. Two weeks ago, we started talking about this whole armor that we put on. And we started with the, the belt of truth and how important it is that we understand how significant that piece of armor truly is, that this belt holds everything together. And how truth, how crucial and central truth is to everything, which seems kind of like a duh moment, of course. It's like, well, of course we want truth. But in a world that we live in today, and no doubt in Paul's era either, is that we deny truth. The fact is, is we ignore truth that we don't like. We, we throw truth out that maybe doesn't fit our already preconceived ideas. How many times have you, at one time or another, as you grow in your relationship with the Lord, have changed what we would call your theology on something because of discovering truth? But what happens so often as we're reading the Word is we already have a belief, so if something doesn't line up for that, we just quickly dismiss whatever we just read and throw it aside, and we don't look at it any further. Now, it could be that we just misunderstand it, but it could be that our initial truth was wrong. Therefore, it wasn't the truth. And truth is crucial to everything that we do. It's very important. And then it comes to righteousness, this breastplate, this innate, beautiful breastplate that God has given us, this righteousness and how important it is to understand that. Because righteousness and truth together coincide. In fact, as you see, as we go week to week, all of this coincides and all goes back to one fundamental principle, which we'll get to later. But righteousness, who we are in Christ, who Jesus says we are. We are made in His image. We are His righteousness. And that's important because when you understand that and you grasp that, then you no longer look at yourself as somebody who is unworthy. As a matter of fact, because you look at yourself that you are one of God's holy ones, that He is made holy. But we're going to look at verse 15 today. And it says, And having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. And I'm going to try very hard to go slower than normal. I know I talk fast. I get a little wound up. I get to going. I'm going to try. I'm not making any promises, but I'm going to attempt today. But understanding this, this concept here is the preparation of the gospel of peace. Now we think about, is that a different gospel? No, of course not. Because the gospel in and of itself, that Jesus died and was raised from the dead three days later, making propitiation for our sins, is truly the gospel. And when you get that, it most certainly will bring peace. But 
We look at these shoes, and we've talked about these a little bit, but these Roman soldiers' shoes that they wore, they weren't just ordinary shoes, and they're not things that you see in the movie. They're not flip-flops, all right? They're not these open-toed sandals that they run around in togas or anything like that. Um, they're not sandals. They were usually made out of bronze or brass. Most of the time they were made out of brass and they composed of a couple of different parts. And we talked about this. The first one was being the grieve. And of course, the second part would be the shoe itself. It was this two-part thing that went together. So I've got a picture of a grieve here. Um, you can kind of see it. It's this tube-like, and it was made of multiple parts. Sometimes it was one part. It just depended on who was making it. I mean, one part on each side, because it covered both sides of the leg. It was start at the top of the knee, and it would extend down past the lower leg on top of the upper portion of the foot. It would be a lot like if you've ever played catcher. It would be similar to the shin guards that they had. You wore. It would cover up on the top of your knee, and it would go down just above your, uh, the top of your foot. But the thing is, is these were, every one of these was custom made because people's legs are different sizes, different shapes, and things like that. So they didn't just have a Walmart where you went and picked these up. Every one of them was custom made. And more often, they were just two individual pieces that were harnessed together with very, very strong leather. But the shoe part also was made of two pieces. The top and the bottom foot was usually covered with brass. And I've got a picture of that as well. And the sides would be held together with multiple pieces of leather. So depending on the time frame, it's, it's really difficult to find actual pictures because a lot of these things didn't make it. Picture something similar to the top picture there on the left, although that is kind of inaccurate. Okay, that looks more like knight's armor or something like that. But it had metal on both sides composing of two feet. But you'll see here with the leather, because there was leather involved, and sometimes they would wear shoes like that, just depending on what they were doing. But it would be basically some sort of a combination of those two, and it would have these multiple pieces of leather that were holding them together. But you'll notice on the bottom, and that's why I put that one up there, is these spikes that are on it. And a lot of times we don't realize that that's what was on there, but those spikes would range from one inch to three inches long, right? I mean, these things are wicked. These are not you know, friendly shoes. You're not going to walk up like, oh, those are adorable. You're not going to do that. These are wicked looking shoes. And so understanding what these look like, it would begin to make you wonder a little bit how on earth Paul would compare these with anything peaceful because they're not peaceful. They're ravenous. And so in the mind of Paul, these both were used as an offensive and a defensive weapon. And you, again, you will see that with each piece of the armor as we go forward that they can not only protect you, but with these spikes on the bottom, or just the fact that they're hard, they can be this weapon that you can use, and they're brutal. And so let's look at a couple parts of this verse, this verse 15, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. This word shod here is actually a compound word. Compound means pulling of two different words together. It could sometimes be more than two. But it's from the two words, hupo and deo, if I'm saying that, or deo. As I've said before, I don't speak Greek, so I'm doing the best I can. But hupo means under, and deo means to bind. And so when they combine these things together, it comes up with the word hupodeomas and conveys the idea of binding something together very tightly on the bottom and top of your feet. It would be putting them all together. And this is a picture that Paul is painting here, that these aren't loose-fitting shoes. They're not too big. They're, they're custom made to each individual. And they were tight, extremely tight. And when Paul is doing this, he's giving us descriptors of what he's saying. Because look at the spiritual implication of what he's saying combined with the natural armor. Is that we must have peace very firmly tied into our lives. 
we have to position peace firmly in place. Binding it around our minds and our emotions in the same way that these Roman soldiers would do with these feet. It has to be there. It's crucial. And you'll see more so why. Going a little bit further onto this verse, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. That word preparation is edomason or mason. And it typically means simply readiness or preparation. But when Paul is using it in connection with a Roman soldier, it portrays these men of war that had these shoes tied on very tightly, but they had firm footing, which, as you'll see shortly, has a lot to do with those spikes. It conveys the idea of solidity or firmness, this solid foundation. Now we're getting into church words that we think of when we think of solid foundation. This peace gives us foundation that is so secure that we can step out in confidence with our faith without being moved by what we see or what we hear. And what do all of these things tie back to? They tie back to righteousness. They tie back to truth. Right? The truth is the Word of God. Our peace is founded in the Word of God. Which brings us to the last part of this, verse 15, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. This word peace here is pronounced Irene. You can see how it's spelled E-I-R-E-N-E. It's a peace that prevails, or it's also known as a conquering peace. When Paul would use this in salutations, it would mean, literally, it would be blessings and prosperity to the ones who read this. I mean, that's what he was saying. In the, in the beginning of the letters, he'll say the words, peace be to you, or, or whatnot. And, and that's what he's saying, this blessing and prosperity. And by using this, he's declaring that when an individual receives the truth of the gospel message, that the truth brings with it blessings and prosperity. Now, don't get hung up on the concept of prosperity, because we Americans think prosperity, we're thinking dollars and cents immediately. That's where our mind goes. That's not necessarily what Paul is saying here. Prosperity can mean a whole lot of different things. I mean, one can be prosperous and be broke. You know what I'm saying? It's because where we value our lives and what we value in our lives. So this blessing, this peace, this prosperity, all of this stuff implies that this conquering force is so strong and effective that all the chaos that was formerly experienced by the individual will be replaced with a peace that prevails in every area of their life when they receive the gospel the gospel of peace we're being prepared for that so understanding this just because a lack there is a lack of peace in your life isn't necessarily a sign that you're under attack it could be a sign that you're under attack it could be a sign that you're not simply taking that peace that belongs to you that understanding of what this peace is and, and maybe not doing different parts of the, the bible the word that what, what we're told to do because there's actually two kinds of peace and this is some things that we overlook. And a lot of that happens because we read very quickly through our Bible. We don't take the time to digest everything that it says. So when we think of righteousness, what do we think of the first kind of peace? It's peace with God. This is what a person experiences immediately when they come to the Lord for their salvation. They experience peace with God. Colossians 1. Colossians 1, starting at verse 19. For it pleased the Father that in Him all the fullness should dwell, and by Him to reconcile all things to Himself, by Him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of His cross. And you who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now He has reconciled in the body of His flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in His sight. You see, peace with God 
is an absolute must because you cannot be in righteousness without having a peace with God. For some reason, this is something we don't struggle with. Even people who should struggle with it. Look at our culture today. A lot of people believe they have peace with God, but have no foundation of which that peace is built upon. They've made a God in their own mind. Peace with God is what makes us righteous. You just read all of these things. It was through His work, His blood, that He reconciled, that He made us. You see all these words being used here, that it was all the work of God making us righteous, that we have this peace with God. This is a must. The second part of peace, and this is the one that we quickly overlook, is the peace of God. And sometimes, because we just don't think these things through, we, we just associate these two together. But they're very different. Because somebody can have peace with God and never experience the peace of God. They're very, very different. We all know somebody, and maybe it's you, but maybe it's not. Maybe, some, maybe it's a family member. Okay, And don't look around here if this is anybody in here. But they, they, they walk around with this peace of God that they, 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 they claim they have but their life doesn't match it. Instead, they're being dominated by this constant fretfulness or this anxiety or, or this worry or any other kind of turmoil that you can think of in their life. Because while they may have peace with God, they've never experienced the peace of God. The peace of God is protective peace. It's protecting us from all the things that we just said. And this is why it's given to us as a weapon. The peace of God that will pass all understanding. Look at Colossians 3.15. It says, Let the peace of God rule in your hearts. This is crucial. The word rule here is the key to understanding this peace. The word rule here is brabuo, berbeo, however you say it, used to portray an umpire or a referee who would have judged the athletic games in the ancient world. These were very popular things. This was a big deal. They didn't have primetime television back then, so they had to do other things, have forms of entertainment, and it would always go back to these guys that called the shots there. Paul is telling us that we have to allow the peace of God to call these shots in our lives. With the peace of God, we can't be moved by our circumstances or the things that we are facing. Why is this important? Because the devil takes advantage of an unrenewed mind. When you renew your mind, the peace of God will quickly follow. It's amazing how all of these things tie together. People on an emotional roller coaster that are up one day and that are down the next, unrenewed mind, more often than not, not every time, don't ever just assume that, but more often than not, that is what's going on. That they are not, it's not triggering. The things that they say they believe in their heart have not sunk in up here and they're allowing this to control this. They're missing the peace of God. They can talk a good game. They can quote a whole bunch of scriptures, but they haven't accepted those scriptures as truth. That's what we said last week, and that's why it's so important. That's why all of these things go hand in hand. We must learn to let the peace of God rule in our lives. Satan cannot play games with your emotions, with the things that are going on when we are governed by this peace and truth. We can't. He can't. It's the peace of God that causes the enemy's assaults to be ineffective. You remember one of the things that we always said, always be thinking, what is the battlefield? Nine and a half times out of ten, it's right here. When we're doing spiritual battle, 
we always feel as if we're doing spiritual warfare on behalf of somebody. And there are times that that is true. But more often than not, we're truly doing it for ourselves. And if we do it for ourselves, and we help other people do it for themselves, suddenly we have a united front doing battle with the enemy. That we're in this thing together. It's the peace of God that is crucial. Peace with God is where we start. And we get that by simply receiving what Jesus gave us. But the peace of God takes some work. It takes some effort because suddenly we have to believe all the things that God said is true. So it can be a defensive weapon as well. Or it, kind of, sort of. I mean, when you think about defensive, we don't always think of defense and weapon together. But it is because it protects us. The grieve part of this cover the top of the knee down to the upper foot, which we talked about. And this is crucial in protecting the legs of the soldier. This is the natural portion of this. Because you think about that, in the battlefields that they went in, a broken leg, a bruised leg, a cut leg, any of these things that could cause them not to be able to respond quickly could be a death sentence for them. They could literally die from someone kicking them in the shins because they wouldn't be able to walk. We've all experienced something like that. If you've ever played any kind of sport, you've, you've experienced that. These guys were required to walk often and long ways. They did not have nicely paved highways. Now, the Romans did a brilliant job and when they set up their military because they did create the highway system, which made it where they could have a smaller army that was more effective. But still, doing battle with these guys, they had to have these things. But what was it that gave them this confidence, these griefs? You think about it, that if you're going into it's like a, a baseball player. A catcher. What idiot wants some guy throwing a 95-mile-per-hour fastball at him multiple times throughout a day? You take off that gear, he's far less confident. He's not going to be diving for balls or anything like that. For me, just as an example in my life, all right, these hands, although they're wide and stubby, it's like Vienna sausage fingers, but I don't like to get them dirty. I don't like to touch them. I used to do roofing. And I enjoy roofing. I wouldn't want to make a living at it, but I like doing it from time to time. And so I'm very careful pulling shingles off and things like that because it hurts. But you put on gloves, I'll stick my hands in anything. It doesn't, it's like night and day difference. I go from picking up one shingle at a time to grabbing handfuls of nails and whatever else I can get my hands on. Why? Because suddenly I'm more confident for whatever reason, it's a psychological disorder or something, is when you put gloves on me, I'll stick my hand inside a bear's den. It don't matter. I, I don't know why. It's weird. But it's the same thing. It's this confidence that they had because of these griefs. That they, and these shoes, they were metal. They protected. They protected from the attack of the enemy. They protected from just simply walking. I mean, all of this stuff. How does peace protect us then? Philippians 4 tells us. Philippians 4 and starting in verse 6. It says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. The peace of God will guard your hearts and minds. So look at this. The word guard is tereo. It means to keep, to guard, to protect, or to garrison. It's the picture of a band of Roman soldiers who are standing watch over something that needs protection. A group of them, not just one, a group of them together is the implication of this word. And Paul is saying it's the peace of God that will guard your heart and mind. And it's this peace that surpasses all understanding. In other words, we don't get it. We've all known somebody who is great in the faith that's been facing a trial, and why are they calm? 
They're confident when they shouldn't be. They're calm when they shouldn't be. They're happy when they shouldn't be. They're relaxed when they shouldn't be. But yet, they are. They're all of those things. And we put ourselves in their shoes and we're like, boy, I hope if I ever face that, I can do it with the same amount of class that they did. And the truth is, we could. But we have to walk in this peace of God. Isaiah 26.3 You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts you. Go back to all the things we've been teaching the last two or three weeks. Where's the battlefield? It's in the mind. What are we ready to renew? The mind. You see how all of these things continue to tie together. You will keep him in perfect peace, the peace of God, whose mind is stayed on you. Keep your word in my heart and out my mouth daily because he trusts you. Why do we trust him? Because he holds the truth. God is the truth. Jesus said, I am the truth. These shoes of peace, these are our foundation. The foundation of what we do. These spikes would help hold the soldier's footing in place depending on where they were and what was going on. God, and God gives us a supernatural to firmly plant our feet on the ground. Regardless of what I see, regardless of what I hear, I'm not moving from the Word of God. You think about it, you're standing there, these soldiers standing there with these one to three inch spikes on their shoes and somebody tries to push them. Are you going to move them? Not very easily. Not easily at all. Why? Because they've got something sinking into the ground and creating a firm foundation. Look at these verses. Ephesians 6, 14. Stand, therefore. 1 Corinthians 16, 13. Watch. Stand fast in the faith. Be brave. Be strong. 2 Corinthians 1, 24. Not that we have dominion over your faith, but our fellow workers for your joy, for by faith you stand. It's interesting to note that the majority of verses in the New Testament that have to do with standing also have to do with faith. They're tied together. Because things come against our faith every day. What is the shield? We'll talk about that soon. Shield of faith. People, situations, circumstances come against our faith all the time. We have the peace of God firmly fixed to the bottom of our feet, enabling us to hold our stance. The supernatural peace of God will make you immovable. The problem is, is too many believers have not received this truth yet. It has not sunk in their heart. As soon as times get tough, they are quick to throw in the towel. As soon as money gets tight, they're panicking. As soon as sickness comes in, they're, they're quick to panic. What is this? You know, I have a relative that every time something's going around, they catch it. When swine flu went around, she had it. West Nile, oh, had that one too. Right? They're hypochondria. But, but every time. And what does this do? It distracts us from the truth of the Word of God. That's what these things do. We allow these things to get in. They distract what God has done and the acceptance of that is truth. When you accept the things that God has said that He has done for you is truth, these things will no longer shake you because you have a firm foundation. Instead, we allow circumstance to keep us from growing deeper into the things of God. We have got to learn, as the body of Christ, how we plant our feet firmly into the soil of God's Word. It's by faith that we stand right where we are. We're unmoved, we're unfazed, we're unhindered by anything that the enemy can throw at us because we have the peace of God. 
When you give your life to Christ, peace with God is a given. The peace of God, we accept that by renewing our mind. Peace is a divine weapon that insulates us from all the attacks of the enemy. All of them. Not some of them. The only ones that get through are the ones you allow. Take off any part of that armor. So what about peace as an offensive weapon? Romans 16.20, And the God of peace will crush Satan under your feet shortly. There's a couple things I want to point out here. First, the word crush here is centribo. It's the Greek word. Active smashing and utterly crushing grapes into wine. You can kind of picture it. Have you ever seen old videos of the French wine press where they're standing out there with their feet, smushing them down, you know? But it also denotes the act of snapping, breaking, and crushing bones. Right? It's not as pretty as it was with the grape thing, right? It's the picture here that, 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 that Paul's painting that these bones are broken to the point that they cannot be healed. They cannot recover. And so in this passage, this one little verse, it shows us a couple of very powerful things. First of all, where does Satan belong? It's under our feet. Where does God crush him? Under our feet. He has no authority and no ability to hurt us unless we allow him out from under our feet. Why would we do that? I don't know, but we do. The second part of this that's very powerful is that this is a joint partnership here between God and us. God's going to crush Satan our feet unless we lift our feet. It's this partnership that's going on between us. And it's very similar to the story that's in Joshua 1, where God freely gave the children of Israel the promised land. He gave it to them. It's yours. Go take it. But in order to possess it, they had to march into it and take down the enemy that was trespassing in the land. They had no right to be there. Joshua 1.3, Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given you, as I said to Moses. If God said, I've given it to you, why would you not take it? The land was filled with giants. These were the enemy of God. God said, you'll see it all, the Anakim, the Raphaim, the Zamumim, all of these different giant tribes that God said, go and wipe them all out. There's a spiritual war that's going on there that we quickly overlook because it's weird. Giants, what are you talking about? Giants didn't exist. Well, the Bible said they did, so they must have. But anyway, moving on from that, he said, I want you to go and I want you to take it. The land is yours. Go take it and wipe out this enemy. Who is involved here? It was God and it was the people of Israel. Go do it together. On their own, they couldn't defeat them. They were too big. They were giants. But with partnership and obedience with God, they could march right in. The giants were no match. And this is exactly what he's painting a picture for us. That we march in tandem with what God has. And when we do that, it makes us unstoppable. One more thing to look at here. And the God of peace will crush Satan under your feet shortly. Does that mean he's going to do it here pretty quick? That's the way it sounds. Here is, I think it's pronounced tacos. T-A-C-H-O-S. I always get excited about that. But it depicts the picture of a large group of soldiers marching down the street. This isn't a time frame, but it's describing how they marched. Okay? I'm going to say that again. It's not describing a time frame. It's describing how they marched. You know how many sermons I've had that God's going to do it shortly? I'm like, well, can He do it now? This is getting old. Let's not wait any longer. Let's just do it. 
These soldiers, they were taught to take very hard in these short, heavy steps when they would march in formation. And you've got to picture this, these cobblestone highways and things that they had. The noise could be heard everywhere when they would come into a town. It was very intimidating. You see it in some of the movies sometimes. You see them marching. I mean, think back to the World War II with the, the armies of Hitler and how they were marching. Now, that was a little different than how these guys did it. But you can hear that sound, that syncopation that's going on, and you could hear it from a long ways away. It was intimidating. You see all these people coming in, marching in tandem, making this loud noise. It's very intimidating. And here's the deal. They stopped for no one. If Grandma tripped and fell in front of them, They'd stomp right on her. It didn't even phase them. They'd just keep going. They wouldn't even look up. When I was in band in high school and we did marching band, that was the first thing they said. You march no matter what's in front of you. Which didn't seem like a tall task until we followed the horses one time. <laughs> then what in front of me was not pleasant. But if you move around it, you get penalized by the judges. I'm like, then you come out here and step in that and then we'll be on equal footing. But I mean, if somebody fell, you were to step over them and keep going. Seemed a little cruel, but that's the way it was. These guys stopped for no one. If a child fell in front of them, they stopped on. Remember these spikes, they're on them. You think they're going to make it? No. Paul's painting another picture here. The devil wants to stand in front of you and try to oppose you. And the work that God is doing in your life, don't stop and ask him to move over. Just keep on marching. You guys seen how all of these things tie together? How when we quickly read Ephesians 6 and we just read through it, we're like, oh, yes, yeah, the armor, that's all exciting. But you see how important this is, how all these pieces tie together. It's peace with God and the peace of God that are all tied back to righteousness. Understanding who we are in relationship to God is a key to understanding our righteousness. And that righteousness is grounded in truth. And when truth is on our side... Nothing can shake us. You see, there's something about knowing your right that makes you oddly confident. We've all had arguments with somebody who's been wrong. Have a political discussion sometime. Right? It's like, how can you see this? Open your eyes. I truly believe there's some spiritual blindness that goes on in all of this. But, but it's like, you see this, and they're, but they're confident in what they say. They're confident in what they do. Maybe you've ever had a discussion with a parent or a child, depending on which end of the spectrum. Here's my mother's argument. Now, one of the things that I always liked to argue when I was growing up, and I was pretty good at it. Um, when I was in the eighth grade, we had to do a mock trial. And I had to represent the North Carolina tobacco industry in this. Now, we're anti-smoking, all of that kind of stuff. And, and he said, you know, you're going to give your best argument of why this was a, a good thing that they should continue the way they're doing, even though it's killing thousands of people every year. Just so happens that my girlfriend of the time was to uh, speak against it. So I'm defending them. She's speaking against it. And being what a good girlfriend would do, she said, you know, my dad said that if I win this case, he'll quit smoking to just throw a little added pressure on there for me. Well, I didn't care. I stomped her into the ground. I went and looked up every statistics about North Carolina that existed, and I mean, she couldn't answer a single question. Her dad didn't quit smoking, and she broke up with me the next day. But I won. So I like to argue, right? I get in there, I enjoy it. And my mother found this out the hard way, because she would begin to argue with me about something, 
And then I would quickly point out all the flaws in her argument, all the logical fallacies that she's making. But she had one trump card. She would throw this out every time. I always knew I won when she did this, but it didn't make me feel any better. Well, there you go. That ended the argument. That was all it took, right? It's amazing how confident she was in the winning part when she believed she had truth on her side. For whatever reason, that ended it. But think about that. Think about that from the spiritual implications. When you have truth on your side, you're confident. When you believe this Bible is the inspired Word of God, and every word on it, in it came from the mouth of God, penned and written through the hands of man that God set up, and that the things that He said are true are true, and we accept them as truth, you become oddly confident. We're firmly footed in the peace of God, that we are God's reconcilers, that we go to the nations, and we preach the gospel of truth gospel of peace, that we're prepared for it. That word prepare is very important. We need to be prepared. We need to have it. We need to know it. We need to understand it. And we need to go and take this truth out there. And when you accept the things that God says about you as truth, you become oddly confident. It's a confidence that surpasses all understanding. Because now, in times of trial, we're at peace. When the economy is in the garbage can, we're not worried. Because God meets all of our needs according to His riches and glory. When sickness enters into your home, you're not worried. You're not worried for two reasons. One, by the stripes of Jesus Christ, we've been made whole. And two, if for some reason we don't live through it, we spend eternity with God. i got to go to a funeral this afternoon to the lady who died of cancer about two weeks ago. Second round with it. She decided this time she just didn't want to fight anymore. This lady gave her life to Christ years ago. She sang in our church when I was growing up. Sounded like Sandy Patty, if that name rings a bell to you. And I mean, sounded like Sandy Patty. Incredible voice. Just heart for the Lord. And just loved church and loved God and loved everything about it. And then she was telling me her backstory one time. She was a hell's angel. Now, never in a million years would I have guessed that. Her husband, no problem. I get that. That makes total sense. But her, not a chance. This is the sweetest lady you ever met in your life. And she's like, yeah, I used to be a hell's angel. I'm like, you know what a hell's angel is, right? You know what they do. Oh, yeah, I did all that stuff. But when the truths came in, the peace of God came in, set her free. And this whole time as she struggled with this, she was in total peace of God. She's like, if God's going to do something supernatural, great. She's like, but I'm ready to go home. It's amazing. In all of these trials, what happens? We're oddly confident. Let's pray.